0: Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and encouragement to your life. For a list of messages, to stream live services, and for updates about events and more info, visit lifechurchroa.org. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message Man, isn't God good? Oh, come on. See, somebody got it. God is good all the time. All right. I like it. Hey, listen, you should have gotten one of these papers, a bunch of fill in the blanks when you came in. I want you to follow along with me today because we got a lot to cover and a little bit of time to do it. But it's really, really good stuff. Not because it's from me, but because it's from Jesus. Let me tell you all how good today's going to be. I walked up on the stage, got ready to come up. Y'all see me hit the light. I know y'all saw it. The light kicked off because I slapped it with the table. All right, I just want to, okay, it, it, but it's okay, it, it started back up the way it's supposed to, but here's what happened right before I did that. Anybody get annoying calls from people that aren't really people? You know what I'm talking about? They want to sell you a sandbox in Florida, or your extended car warranty, or in my case, for whatever reason, they think that I have Medicare Part A and B and need a supplement. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's my age or if it's something else, but for whatever reason, uh, and they use numbers for real people, okay, every once in a while, and, and with iPhone, now those names pop up as to who they are, and I kid you not, I stepped up on stage and somebody with the last name Pagan called me. Now, that's not a joke. I, last Pagan, I'm going to tell you the first name in case you know who it is. Because I don't know who it is, but maybe they did. It, but but it, was a, it was one of those calls, right? I didn't answer it, but I knew it because it's not a re- number that I recognize. Black pagan, the enemy's trying to give me a call, <laughs> Not today, Satan. I don't think so. (laughs) All right. Okay. Just making sure y'all are with me this morning. Hey, we are in a series right now called Altered State. Now, it's a little bit of a play on words, right? Because we know there are two types of altars. There's the altar like this that we come to, that we worship God, that we praise God, that we do all the things. Last week, we learned about what an altar really is and the, the purposes of altars and what we do when we come to the altar. Okay? And then there's also being altered like we alter our clothes or we alter our look, or we alter things that we need to change, okay? And so we're talking about being in a state of change, a state of change in the presence of God. We're talking about being altered by being altered. I'll let you you hang on to that one for just a minute. Uh, And so what I want to do today is I want to start, I know the first scripture there that you have on your paper, 2 Kings, but we're going to start with the second scripture just to mess with you a little bit. Okay. And so Ezra chapter three, you're not going to fill in the blank yet. I just want you to listen. Those those spots. Okay. Most of them are going to be up on the screen for you to fill out. All right. If you don't get one, you can ask me after service. If you're one of those people that has to have every single blank filled out, you know who you are. We are kindred spirits. And if you miss one, I promise we'll get, I'll get it to you, okay? I know some of y'all are like that. Here's the thing. The big idea for today, here's the takeaway. Here's what you got to walk a home with. The altars in your life are never too broken down that you can't return and rebuild. No matter how much you diss God, no matter how much you've disowned God, no matter how much you've pushed Him to the side. Anybody ever been dissed by somebody? Y'all know what diss means, right? Like when somebody says something about you that you don't like. It might be true, but they didn't have to say it. My kids diss me all the time. They say things that I don't understand. And when I try to understand it, they tell me I'm old. They got jokes about my bald spot. One of my children named it. And so she walks around talking to Timmy all the time. I'm not as good at video games as I used to be. They can all beat me at video games now. And they remind me of that. They diss me, right? They, they, they get some issues. They have some issues with me. And those are kind of fun things and little things that they do. But sometimes we diss people, and it's very real. We, we almost disown people, right? And sometimes we do the same things with God. We've got to own our walk. We've got to own What we do for Christ. We've got to own our altars. This morning, I want to start by reading Ezra chapter 3. We're going to talk about rebuilding altars today. Now, for those of you, for whoever is on, I'm sorry for you who is doing the screen. I didn't put in there the breaks in scripture that I'm going to take. And you can yell at me later for that. Okay, Because there's one, I'm going three words in and then I'm taking a break for a minute. In early autumn, somebody say early autumn. Just making sure you're awake. I'm going to give you a little Bible fact, okay? A little geek fact. I like to geek out on the Bible. This would have been sometime between our September and November. Guess where we are? We're in scripture where we are right now. Okay, and so it says in early autumn, so this is sometime between September and November, right? When, when things are dying, but oh, here's what we know. Spring's coming and life is coming, right? Come on, right? The leaves are falling into beautiful, see the different colors of leaves, and to know that there's still new coming even, even beyond what's happening right now. They're in this place in Scripture in early autumn, sometime between our September and November. And we can kind of of pick up on where they're going and what they're seeing because there's some ruins in their life that we're going to find out about here in just a minute. There's some things that have fallen, but new life is coming. Okay? So in early autumn it says... When the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. Now, the book of Ezra is all about God's people returning to Jerusalem after it was destroyed and the people were taken into exile by King Nebuchadnezzar. This is an incredible story, right? These people, dissing God for so long, God had been warning them, giving them warning after warning after warning, telling them, hey, listen, if you don't stop doing these things... If you don't stop doing what you're doing, if you don't stop the disobedience, the idolatry, the sin, there's going to be consequences. Anybody ever tried to show a little bit of grace to someone and you stretched out the warnings for so long and then finally you came down on them and they're like, well, why didn't you tell me this was going to happen? And you've been telling them and telling them and telling them and telling them, but they haven't been listening they haven't heard you, and they just keep dissing, and all of a sudden, you, you, you let them know that you ain't going to take it no more, and they're like, where's the grace you're supposed to show? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been there? I'm not alone, right? My kids be like, why didn't you warn me? <laughs> I did 15 times. God warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them and they didn't listen. They didn't turn away from their disobedience. They didn't turn away from their idolatry. They didn't turn away from their sin. And they ended up being overtaken by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army. And they hauled them out of there. We're going to read about it here in just a few minutes. So I don't want to spend too much time on it right now. But we're, they, they end up burning the place to the ground, top to bottom. Nothing left. No walls, no temple, no altars, no Nothing. They left a handful of people there who had nothing, and they took everybody else. The events in the book of Ezra follow a 70-year exile of God's people from God's promised land. Ezra chronicles the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem when they were allowed to return. 70 years later, a lifetime later. do you think about that? the results of their dissing God, the results of their disobedience, their idolatry, their sin, was a lifetime separated from God's promise. Ouch. But that's a different sermon. Keep going. Verse 2. And Jeshua, son of Zehoizzak, joined his fellow priest and Zerubbabel, son of Shethel, with his family in rebuilding the altar of God. Or the the altar of the God of Israel. I'm gonna stop here again. I'm just I'm trying to give you some stuff because this stuff's important. Don't get lost in those names. Many times we breeze past them without giving much thought. Oh, these are just two guys who rebuilt the altar. But I want you to understand something about these two guys. The first guy was the uh, his, uh, his grandfather was the high priest when they were taken into exile. High priest was a pretty important job, right? And he was a descendant of this high priest. It was his grandfather. He knew what it meant to be a priest. That had still been passed down even in exile. Even though sacrifices had stopped in exile. Even though worship had stopped in exile for the most part as a whole. There was still bits and pieces of it happening while they were in another country. And so this guy who is now rebuilding, who's going to rebuild the altar, is is the grandson of the high priest. But then it mentions another guy. The other guy, Zerubbabel, was a descendant of King David. What's important about King David? Well, Jesus is going to be in the lineage of King David. You go to Matthew and you read the lineage of Jesus, you're going to see this guy in it. The same guy who rebuilt the altar after the exile is going to be named in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? they're going to rebuild a physical altar okay but one day hebrews says our altar is going to be the christ of cross the cross of christ i'll get it right in a minute what hebrews tells us without the lineage of jesus without following through without all of this happening we wouldn't have christ Tell me, god doesn't know what he's doing He uses the the grandson of the high priest and a man who's the descendant of King David. The restoration of worship in the land required priests and people after God's own heart. Can I tell you a secret about our land today? If we're gonna get back to the worship of God, if people are gonna return to the altar, it's gonna require you and I being a royal Priesthood, a holy nation that God has called us to. It's going to require us taking Christ to the world and it's going to require us having the heart of God. The men who rebuilt the altar here were specifically chosen because of that. It's exactly what they had. Not just in these two, but people who came with a unified purpose, it says. Remember, God has always intended for his people to be priests that reach the nation's. It's also what Peter tells us. You are a chosen people, he says. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into wonderful light. If if the way things are put together in Scripture doesn't amaze you, I'm going to challenge you to go back and read it again. God used the grandson of a high priest and a descendant of King David to come back after exile and rebuild the altar. He needs a nation, people, who are high high priests, priests in their world, and men and women after his own heart to go out into the world and share the gospel. To build altars. Let's keep reading. They wanted to sacrifice, it says, burnt offerings on it, as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse 3, even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. Now this is significant also. Long before they could rebuild the temple, they chose to rebuild the altar so that they could worship. Anybody ever tried to get ahead of things? ever told you or you told somebody you're putting the cart before the horse? These guys understood they couldn't do that. They had to get back to the worship of God. They didn't even have walls around their city yet. They barely had homes. They were living in tents. But they chose to come back and build the altar of God so that worship could be started up again, so that they could worship the way they were required to worship. This was a big move. This was a bold move. Because there were enemies all around. It even says the people who were there, they were scared of them. They were fearful of what the people who were there might do when they came back to the place of the temple and they dug out the altar and they started to rebuild. This isn't just any old place. This is a place that King David had purchased and built an altar and sacrificed to the Lord before a temple was ever built. It's a place where David says, I'm not going to sacrifice to the Lord something that doesn't cost me. It's a place where Solomon comes and builds the the grand temple. This is a significant place to these people. They didn't just pick anywhere. They went back to the place. They dug it out. They began to build the altar. They, re- they rebuilt the altar first because it was something they could do relatively quickly and easily. Right? We begin any great work by doing what we can. Right? They owned it. They re- rebuilt the altar first because it was an act of obedience. They rebuilt the altar first because it established worship. They rebuilt the altar first because that was the place they knew that they would draw near to God. Owned it. The altar was central to their lives and they had neglected it. It It's what led them into exile in the first place. This is why they feared the people, not because they, they could hurt them necessarily, but because they were a spiritual threat. That They remembered what led them to exile, the neglect of the altar of God in the past. And they had become contaminated by this idea of disobedience, this idea of idolatry, this sin. They weren't going to do that again. So they set up the true altar. The truth is that Jerusalem was better guarded by that altar than it ever would have been by rebuilt walls. Even with the fears that they had, they understood getting back to obedience, worship, and drawing near to God was the protection that they needed. They're going to rebuild the walls later, but right now, God's going to take care of them. The altar was essential to them and it's essential to us. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that it is the, it's the, for us, our altar, the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about that. They were, they were rebuilding one of the most important things to their faith. It goes on, it says, Then they began to sacrifice. Burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning. Verse 4, they celebrated the festival of shelters as prescribed in the law, sacrificing the number of burnt offerings specified for each day of the festival. Now this was a huge celebration. It was a joyful feast. It was one of the three major feasts of Israel that celebrated God's faithfulness to Israel during their time in the wilderness. It's interesting that they come back from exile and this is the first thing they celebrate. They also offered the regular burnt offerings and the offerings required for the new moon celebrations and the annual festivals as prescribed by the Lord. The people also gave voluntary offerings to the Lord. 15 days before the festival shelters began, the priest had begun to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. This was even before they had started to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple, it says. See, during their long stay, 70 years in Babylon, the Jews were not able to offer any sacrifices. This could only be done, sacrifices could only be made in Jerusalem. Instead, they were surrounded by a lot of pagan temples. In fact, there were about 50 temples, 180 open air shrines, 300 other types of statues and things in Babylon. They surrounded. By them. Yet, as they came back, they, understand, they understood the rebuilding of the altar of God most important. Now if we're going to talk about why it's important that we rebuild altars and that, that we come back to the place where we are not disobeying God, not committing idolatry, not sinning, but instead owning our walk with God, we've got to know why and how this happened in the first place. So, I'm going to have you go somewhere else in Scripture. 2 Kings. We don't typically try to jump around too much. It's going to be up on the screen if you need it. 2 Kings chapter 25. What happened to the altar in the first place? By the way, this is where your page starts for notes. 2 Kings 25, verses 8 through 12. Here's what happened to the altar. We know that they came back and rebuilt it, but what happened in the first place? Well, on August 14th of that year, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, the captain of the guard and an official of the Babylonian king arrived in Jerusalem. He burned down the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He destroyed all the important buildings in the city. Then he supervised the entire Babylonian army as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. The captain of the guard took as exiles the rest of the people who remained in the city, the defectors who had declared their allegiance to the king of Babylon and the rest of the population. But the captain of the guard allowed some of the poorest people to stay behind to care for the vineyards and fields. That's what happened to the altar. It was destroyed in this moment. It was destroyed at this time. And we think, well, that'd be easy to blame Nebuchadnezzar and the army of Babylon. But the reality is, is if you go through scripture, you see it was God's people who disowned God, who dissed God that led to this. This is what happened to their altar. This siege, this invasion, destruction and captivity was a result of God's people disowning him. Their disobedience led to destruction, devastation, and desolation. When we disobey God, there are some of the same consequences in our life. When we disobey God, we can see the destruction that comes along with that. We can see the devastation and the desolation that comes along with that. Disobedience to God leads us down a path that creates an opportunity... For us, begin living a completely different type of life than he's called us to. It's the beginning of disowning God. God says, hey, I want you to do this. And you're like, nah, not a chance, God. Can't do that can't make that happen the problem with disobedience is that it never stops with disobedience it always takes it a step further disobedience moves into the second thing that they were guilty of which is idolatry their idolatry led to insult not just of them but of god They were insulting God by worshiping other gods. They were insulting God by worshiping themselves, by placing themselves above God. When they were disobedient to God, when God had asked them to do something, told them to do something, and they said, no, I'm going to do it my way. Can I tell you, church, that's idolatry? It's making yourself an idol? Dissing God. And not in a playful way. In a way that was going to lead them to destruction, in a way that insulted God, it was an it was injury. It led to injury. Many people died in this invasion, and many people died in Babylon. It also led to indignity. When we set up idols of worship in our life, it has the same consequences. Many times we worship things we have no business worshiping and what led us directly to idolatry is disobeying God. Had we walked the path that he laid out before us, had we taken the steps that he asked us to take, had we done the things, we wouldn't find ourselves worshiping other things, turning to money, putting it on a pedestal. The culture that we live in, leaders, In our world. You've heard me say it a a, a bunch. And I'm going to keep saying it. I don't care who sits in the seat. President of the United States. I serve a king. Of everything. If we're not careful. We can begin to idolize. People. Things. Stuff. our work. Whatever it may be. Disobedience, idolatry are both sin. It leads to more sin. And sin leads to a a shattering of the people. They couldn't worship anymore. Their whole life was surrounded around this temple and the altar. Their whole world was surrounded around Jerusalem and the, the area that they lived in, yet they, it was shattered to pieces because of their sin. Then they were scattered, subjugated, they were made slaves. Many of them. They were made to learn a language they didn't know, eat food they shouldn't have been eating, do things they should have never done. They disowned God, disobeyed Him, committed idolatry, and sin became the norm in their life. God began warning them hundreds of years before His exile. They didn't listen. challenge you today to tune your voice in or tune your ears into the voice of God and begin asking him, are there areas, God, are there places in my life that I've disowned you? Are there areas of disobedience or idolatry or sin that I need to come back to the altar, that I need to rebuild some things today? Have I allowed other things to alter me? Have I allowed my culture, my job, my family? Have I allowed money? Have I allowed these things to change me to the point my altar's in ruins? The altar of my heart, the altars of my life are in ruins. God had sent prophet after prophet, warning after warning to his people, and they didn't listen. I don't want to be guilty of not listening. I challenge you before the end of this, we're going to get to some good stuff. I know this part's heavy you begin asking God now I disowned you in any areas have I dissed you am I disobedient am I committing idolatry in any areas of my life am I worshiping other things than you putting something ahead of you is there sin in my life that's keeping me away from you this is what led to their exile. Even so, even with all these things, right? Dissing God has consequences that we're not going to enjoy that they didn't enjoy. But even so, God still had a plan for his people. They didn't stay in exile. They were allowed to return and it changed them. They came back different. Different. They came back changed. They're actually digging out the altar. They're actually unified in purpose. They're wanting to worship God because they know that it was the very thing. It was the disobedience. It was the idolatry. It was the sin that pulled them away from God. But They're, they're going to own it. They come back and they own it. We just read it. I wanted to give you the good stuff first. Ezra chapter 3. They come back and they own it. And They say, we are going to be obedient to everything God wrote to the man of God, Moses. We're going to start worshiping again. They're obedient, they worship, and then they're going to draw near to God. So what did rebuilding the altar do for them? Well, there's six things that happened in rebuilding the altar that I'm going to give you very quickly that we've read through in Ezra chapter 3. The first thing is this, rebuilding the altar altered their fellowship. Before the exile, God's people were divided. There was the northern and southern kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And now, Scripture says they came together with a unified purpose. This was a people who had separate kings, who had separate worlds that they lived in, separate places that they worshipped, completely separate lives that hated each other. Yet they come back together and they understand if they're going to own it, if they're going to change, they've got to quit dissing God, and they have to get back to the altar. The altar will alter, A-R-E-R, Your fellowship. You listen, when you begin to rebuild altars in your life, it's gonna be hard to stay mad at people. That family that you've disowned, when you start being obedient to God, worshiping God, and drawing near to Him, it's gonna be difficult for you to continue to diss them. That person who said that thing about you that you said you'd never forgive them for, it's gonna be hard. Because the Holy Spirit's going to change you. You're going to be altered. Those things that bothered you before, He's going to give you a path to walk through them. He's going to walk with you. That thing that you've hated for so long. We begin to be altered. By the altars that we build. And that we rebuild. God begins to change our fellowship. They came unified, It said. A divided nation, 70 years later, stopped dissing God, stopped being disobedient, stopped being or committing idolatry, and stopped the sin. It changed their fellowship. The second thing is rebuilding the altar altered their fears. They no longer feared man but God. It says that they were kind of scared of these people who were still there. And there's a couple reasons for that. We're not going to go too deep into that. But they were scared. Yet they went to rebuild the altar anyways. Because remember, they understood what got them in exile. They understood it was their disobedience. They understood it was their idolatry. They understood it was their sin that led them to that 70 years. And they were not going to be guilty of that again. No matter what. I don't know about you, but I probably would have started building the walls first. Good thing God didn't have me back then. Because I want protected while I'm building the altar. I would have justified it too. I'm really good at justifying things. Anybody really good at just? Don't raise your hand. Just think about it. Anybody else really good at justifying things? When you want it, you're going to get it. Okay? Some of y'all, some of y'all wives are like, yeah, yeah, my husband doesn't know it, but he does it all the time. Okay? I see your faces. Y'all smiling? And your husbands are just sitting there oblivious. I would have justified the walls to everybody. I'd have been like, listen, we can rebuild the altar. We can worship anytime. Let's go ahead and just start the burnt offerings. We can do those on the ground. Let's rebuild the walls. It makes more sense. We need to be protected. There are people around here that want us to fail. There are people around here that want us to die. And if we're not here, we can't build the altar anyways. But they understood something. didn't fear man. It was a fear of God. They understood what happened when they dissed God and they weren't going to do that again. They were going to own it. And ownership led them to rebuilding the altars. It'll alter our fears too. That fear you have of sharing the gospel with people because they might reject you. You start rebuilding altars in your life. Things that have been torn down that should have never been torn down. You stop dissing God and start owning it. You start obeying and worshiping and drawing near to God. And I promise you that the protection that you think comes from other things, that money in your bank account, that job you have, whatever it might be, is going to push way down on the list and God is going to raise up as their protection. It altered their fears. The third thing we see in Ezra chapter 3, and we, read that, we read all this earlier, so you can go back and reread it to find these things for sure, but rebuilding the altar altered their faith. They had faith that God was going to help them rebuild no matter what they faced. They returned to doing what they were instructed to do, sacrifice, burn offerings, celebrate God through the feast, voluntary offerings to God. When we come to rebuild altars in our life, we're obedient, we worship God, we draw near to him, it alters our faith in him also. We didn't really plan for Janet to come up and share, but last Sunday we stood up here and prayed for her, anointed her and prayed for her. And the faith for healing. The faith that God was gonna do what was best no matter what. The faith that God's got her no matter what. Even if the testimony today would have been different, Janet, God still still had you. I'm thankful that we can step and walk in faith. The next thing that we see is that it altered, rebuilding the altar altered their focus. Before they had been focused on themselves and what they wanted, rebuilding the altar changed their focus to God. It didn't matter what others thought or what others could do. It mattered what God wanted. Honoring God with their lives became more important than what anyone else thought. It became more important than, their lives, than the lives themselves. Their focus had shifted from themselves and, 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 and what they wanted onto God. And when we rebuild altars in our lives, when we find ourselves in the presence of God, in a place of worship, in a place of praise, a place of prayer, promise, and power, presence of Jesus, it'll alter our focus too. Suddenly, the things we wanted so bad won't be the things at all. I'm gonna give you an example of this one. Many of our Chi Alpha students at Virginia Tech, support Kai Alpha. It's a college minister at Virginia Tech. They come in, they get degrees in all kinds of different things. But God has a calling on their life that they didn't know was there until right about the end of the time they get their degree. And you think, man, all that time getting their degree and all that time doing, yet God has now called them to something different. They've come to the altar. They've come into the presence and the power and the promise of Jesus Christ, understanding what it means to pray and praise and to rebuild or build altars in their lives to Jesus. And they find out that he's got a calling for them to go around the world and share the gospel. We've got three or four high-alpha missionaries that are in different places in the world now, came to Virginia Tech to get a degree in whatever it might be, yet God's called them and placed them on the mission field to share the gospel. Focus changed. Focus changed. I wonder today if some of us need to rebuild some altars so that our focus will be altered. The fifth thing in rebuilding the altar, it altered their foundation. They knew the place of consecration was important. It might have looked kind of pathetic for them as they attempted to dig down through the rubble and ruins to find the foundation of the altar. But God had been made the foundation there. And they were going to make Him the foundation of their nation again. I wonder if today sometimes we don't rebuild altars. We don't come back to that place because we're too afraid that people might think we look pathetic We allow fears to get in the way. We allow what people think to get in the way. We worry about what somebody might think if we start to rebuild an altar in our life to Jesus. Worship team, you can come. When we rebuild altars, it alters our foundation. We talk about Jesus being our priority, community being our foundation. We want our community to change. We want our community to make Jesus their priority. That begins with us building, rebuilding altars, obeying God, worshiping God, and drawing near to Him. The last thing, when they rebuilt the altar, it altered their future. altered their future they were setting the stage for everyone that would come after them they reclaimed their place as priests instead of prisoners and they proclaimed to everyone around them and everyone that was going to come after them that we are priests not prisoners we just finished up a series called gate smashers and in the series we talked about How we've been called to be gay smashers and freedom fighters. It wasn't when the king said, you can go back to your land, that they were free. It was when they rebuilt the altar. when they came back and said, we're going to do things differently because our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, the people we will never meet hundreds of years in the future setting in Roanoke, Virginia in a church on a Sunday morning. It's for that future. When we rebuild altars, when we begin to own God when we begin to own our walk with him I'm not talking about in possession I'm talking about living it out when we begin to obey God worship God and draw near to God rebuilding altars in our lives it alters our future it alters our kids future our grandkids future It alters the future of a newborn baby who's here for the first time today. God has an amazing plan for. I don't know about you, but I'm hoping and I'm praying that the things that we do as a church, the things that we do as the body of Christ, impacts her life so much that one day she obeys God worships God and draws near to Him I'm hoping I get to see that I'm hoping I get to be a part of that I'm hoping you get to be a part of that that, that people that we don't even know are coming that are on their way have recognized that we have rebuilt altars in our lives And it's changed their future. It's changed our future. If rebuilding the altar is going to alter us, we got to stop dissing God and start owning our walk. We got to rebuild the altar by obeying God, rebuild the altar by worshiping God, and rebuild the altar by drawing near to God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes all across the room. I asked you about midway through the sermon to begin thinking about do I have some altars I need to rebuild? Have I been dissing God are there areas in my life where I've been disobedient? God's asked me to do something and I just haven't done it. Maybe I've been scared. Maybe I just haven't had the time or the, I haven't put the effort into it. I ask you to think about if you've been dissing God in idolatry, are there things in your life that are more important than God that you've placed on his throne in your life, in your heart? Are you sacrificing for something else in your life, but not for God? Are you worshiping something else, giving it more time, energy, and effort than you do God? I ask you to consider, are you dissing God with sin in your life? Is there a, a sin in your life that you're struggling with? This could or could not be a matter of salvation. You can be saved and still be dealing with one or all of these things. Church, we live in a current day, a modern day Babylon. This is not our home. This is not where we're meant to be forever. But we can't join in with the culture and dis God. We've got to own our walk. We've got to own our altars. We've got to rebuild the things that have been broken down in our lives. You rebuild by obeying God. Worshipping God and drawing near to him. I wonder this morning if there would be anybody in the room that would say to me, you know what, Pastor? Today, I need to repent and rebuild. Today, I've sought God, I've I've asked God, is there areas, and I've recognized areas of disobedience, areas of idolatry, areas of sin. And today, I want to repent and begin to rebuild that altar. Begin to rebuild the place that I pray and praise God. Rebuild the place where I experience His presence, His power. And his promise. But first I got to dig through some rubble and I need to repent so that I can rebuild. If that's you this morning, saved, unsaved, it doesn't matter if you're unsaved and want, and you're saying, you know what? I, I've heard about Jesus. I know that he died for me. I know that he's coming back. I know that he's going to rise again. I know that I want his promise of eternity then in just a second, I want you to stand with the other people who are going to stand and say, I've got one of these areas I've been dissing God and I need to just, I need to repent this morning. I don't think we do enough repentance. So I'm going to challenge you to push down the fears of the worry that comes with what I'm about to ask you. Push away the idea that you're not worthy of the love that Christ gives you, and step into the fact that He wants to alter you with His power, His presence. This promise, this morning, you would say to me, Pastor, today I need to repent because there's some areas I've been dising God. Heads bowed and eyes closed. It's between you and God. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up and begin to move towards the altar. Right now, I need to repent because there's some things I need to rebuild. There's some things I need to own this morning. Now I'm going to bring it to God. I'm going to choose obedience, choose worship, choose drawing near to him. I'm going to lay aside the disobedience I'm going to lay aside the idolatry I'm going to lay aside the sin come on if that's you I want you to step out I don't think this message was just for me you ain't gonna, you're not going to be alone I'm up here standing too this is, this is me if, if that's you this morning if that's you I want you to come and begin to be altered begin to be changed Ask God to alter you. Jesus. Come all across the room. Everybody stand. It's never too late. If you should have moved, I'm going to challenge you to move. Jesus, today, for those who would say, I need to be altered. There's are some areas that I've been dissing God some areas of disobedience, some areas of idolatry, some some areas of sin, Lord, that need your healing today, that need me to take ownership of it today. I repent in this place. Jesus, we worship you. The team's going to begin singing. We're going to pray with these who are up here. I want to challenge you to not just run out, she should begin asking God, do I need, is there really some areas that I need to deal with? Are there some, are there, is there some sin in my life that have to, has to be dealt with? Some idolatry that has to be dealt with? Some disobedience that I need to just repent for? Repentance is not a dirty word. Repentance is not something that means I'm the most terrible person in the world. Repentance is simply coming to God and saying, I'm going to turn away from that thing and turn my heart back to you. I'm going to rebuild that altar to you today. Maybe it's an attitude that you've had towards someone. Husbands, maybe it's the way you've been treating your wives. Wives, the way you've been treating your husband. Maybe it's the way you talked about that person this week when you gossiped about them. Maybe it's that God laid on your heart to do something for someone and you just didn't do it. Maybe you've been struggling with an addiction to pornography, an addiction to alcohol, an addiction to something else. I challenge you to step out. Repent today and begin to rebuild. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Don't forget to visit us at Life Church ROA on Instagram and Facebook for updates, service times, and ways to get involved. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we would love to partner with you on your next steps. Visit lifechurchroa.org/jesus to learn more. We love you and we can't wait to see you soon.